Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to The Point with me, Li Xin, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. Time for your regular dose of American democracy. The U.S. convened the second so-called Summit for Democracy on Wednesday and Thursday. Unlike the last summit, of which the U.S. was the only host, four co-hosts from four continents were tabbed this year, namely Zambia, Costa Rica, the Republic of Korea and the Netherlands. President Biden or Mr. Biden promised to host the summit whilst running for president. And the summit is seen as an attempt to strengthen America's alliances and reaffirm its leadership. Now, 120 countries and regions were invited, but according to U.S. Department of State, only 100 so-called partner governments were represented. Is the U.S. trying to divide the world according to values? China wasn't invited to the meeting, but was China really absent? What does the world think? think of this meeting. I'm pleased to be joined from Stockholm, Sweden by Hussein Azkari, strategic analyst at the Schiller Institute, a German-based political and economic think tank, and from New York by Margaret Kimberly, executive editor at the media outlet Black Agenda Report. The warmest welcome to both of you. So Mr. Biden said during his speech at the plenary of the summit that uh, strengthening democracy is a subject about which he is somewhat passionate and he believes it is the defining challenge of this age. Mr. Askari, let me go to you first. What exactly is the uh, intention and goal of the United States behind hosting this summit? Is it really about promoting uh, democracy or about uh, assembling a kind of pro-U.S. alliance using ideology as a handle? Thank you, uh, Mr. Liu Xin, uh, for uh, inviting me. Uh, yes, uh, I mean, as you said in the introduction, that the, the purpose of this summit is to divide the world into our group and their, between us and them, between the so-called we, the democratic, and the others who are not democratic. And this is actually has turned into an embarrassment. I mean, the, the summit, many people have called this the summit of hypocrisy. Uh, and I think it's a bit of an understatement because the world has noticed that democracy with Anglo-American characteristics is something which is now carried under the wings of B-52 bombers, uh, predator drones, and on depleted uranium-clad shells. And it's shrouded with harsh economic sanctions. So if the bombs don't kill you, we will starve you to death. This is the message to the world from the Anglo-American democracy. Mr. Askari, I'm sorry, the audio quality seems to be dissatisfactory right now. Let's try to re-establish the line, and I'll give you the opportunity to elaborate your point. But let me go to Ms. Kimberly here. Uh, what do you think of uh, this uh, summit being held by countries that, are, um, that have a track record of grafting their political system onto others by force? And Mr. Biden talks about democracy is becoming stronger and stronger and autocracy is becoming weaker weaker of course or according to american standard is america becoming stronger and stronger as a democracy well america is not a democracy first of all it's a plutocracy it's an oligarchy um, it's a corporate state, but it's not a democracy we have elections but they're pretty much shams uh, i i won't go into a lot of detail about that, but this idea 
that the U.S. lives up to its claim of being a democracy, that is to say a government that represents its people, is just not true. So these summits are exercises, in, frankly, in war propaganda, uh, where the United States invites countries it's friendly with, that is to say those, those countries that do what it wants, and uh, uh, calls them democracies and any country that doesn't do what the United States wants, that asserts its independence or its uh, sovereignty or dares to differ with the U.S. is uh, labeled an uh, authoritarian state or an autocracy. So the entire premise of this is very cynical, uh, and it is a summit of hypocrisy. Uh, so these are ex these are uh, public relations stunts, um, but they have nothing to do with democracy. Something that the U.S. frankly knows nothing about. Well, China obviously does not belong to the democracy camp, according to the Biden administration, according to uh, American standards. What do you think is the potential consequence of this trend amplifying, I mean, uh, dividing the world between uh, along ideological lines? Are we really going to see the danger of a new Cold War? Do you think such events would uh, really promote unity and cooperation when we are faced with so many crises and challenges? Ms. Kimberly, once again. Well, um, we need cooperation. The, the only solution for the world is peaceful coexistence among nations, rather than the United States claiming this right to control the rest of the world. Um, and having, we're well into a Cold War, actually places like Ukraine, another proxy war is a hot war, in fact. But uh, we see uh, China exerting its influence in the world, which I think is a good thing. It is not a good thing for the U.S. to believe it's the only one that can control events. And we see nations coming together, nations uniting in order to get away from U.S. aggression, in order to get away from U.S. dollar dominance, in order to get away from sanctions and all of the disruptions that the United States uh, has uh, caused in recent decades. But some people would argue, Ms. Kimberly, that uh, democracies are important and it is also important for China and all the other countries that are struggling to improve their governance, that are struggling to uh, become more developed. Um, what is the right venue then? What is the right ways to promote dialogues on democratic governance and to improve democracy across the board in all different uh, locations and under different political systems? Well, the United States needs to act like the democracy it claims to be. Uh, then it can be a model for the rest of the world instead of this bully that other countries want to uh, flee. There are many examples of democracies around the world, countries that strive, uh, they may not always succeed, that strive to truly represent uh, their people and to do what's in their interests rather than uh, to be uh, uh, phony uh, about uh, uh, allegedly representing one's people. The, the people of this country are not represented in Washington. Corporations are, the military-industrial complexes, but the people are not represented. So the U.S. must start at home. And then it's any efforts to uh, spread democracy around the world will be honest, 
But first, the U.S. has to accept that it must peacefully coexist with other nations. Another thing uh, about uh, democracy is that it seems a lot of people, including ordinary people, refuse to acknowledge that there are other ways of government、mm-hmm. that may be democratic in essence, but not democratic in appearance, according to the Western standard. For instance, you know this whole election thing that the United States is so resolute about. If you don't have election, you don't have democracy. How do you look at that kind of reluctance to be open-minded about the ways how governance can be carried out? Well, the United States has to stop acting as though it's exceptional,、uh, that it's special in a good way, and just accept that there are different ways of doing things around uh, uh, the world,、uh, rather than.、Uh, uh, You know, and our elections are a sham. It's they're all about money.、Uh, candidates who raise more money tend to win.、Uh, people may claim that they are going to represent the people, but they go to Washington and and represent、uh, defense contractors and big pharma and other、uh, institutions that don't、uh, benefit、uh, the people. So、uh, just having elections. At, Alone is not proof of democracy, because the plutocrats like elections, the oligarchs like elections. They give the appearance that all is well when they are the ones firmly in control. So we have to talk about what elections are really like in this country,、hmm. who they really represent, and whether the outcomes benefit the people. Uh, now, last time the summit set up a presidential initiative for democratic renewal, Ms. Kimberly, with 400 million U.S. dollars committed to the cause, and this time it's an additional 6, 690 million U.S. dollars to be committed to the initiative, and the money will be spent, quote unquote, shoring up governance, support for media freedom, fight international corruption, stand with democracy and democratic reformers, promote technology that advances technology,、uh, dem- democracy, and defend elections. So, given the track record of the United States in meddling in other countries'、uh, affairs under the pretext of democracy, what can the world expect when more money, even a total of nine、uh, billion U.S. dollars, is committed to promoting democracy around the world? Well, it's money that's going to be used for color revolutions. It's money that's going to be used to undermine governments that don't do what the U.S.、Uh, wants it to do.、Uh, it's going to be the usual. And it's just very insidious、uh, that these this interference in the affairs of other countries, these efforts to uh, uh, enhance U.S. hegemony, are、uh, clothed in all in talk of、uh, democracy. You know, you have to want democracy for the rest of the world. So,、uh, for one state to claim that it can pick leaders for other countries, decide who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down. Um, is very much undemocratic. Mm. Mm. So I'm afraid that all this money is going to be used、um, uh, the way it has been in the past. Yeah. The final question goes to Mr. Askari. I'm、uh, sorry that time is very limited, but I will give this final question to you.、Um, Zambian president、uh, published an article on、uh, Western media saying that、uh, you can't eat democracy. 
in the article, he says human rights may sustain the spirit but not the body. Particularly in young democracies like mine, governments must deliver economically if they are to retain the people's consent. Uh, what do you think of this article and what do you think the message that he's uh, emphasizing here about delivery, about uh, the result of good governance? Exactly. I think this is very, very important article, which was published the, the same day uh, as the summit was held. And uh, this is this is really the issue, uh, because, I mean, the so-called democracy, as it practiced by the United States, Britain, NATO countries, it has lost all its substance. Because what is the use of a government which does not promote the well-being of the people? I mean, even in the U.S. Constitution, it says the purpose of government is to promote the general welfare of the people, all the people of the country. In the past 50 years, United States governments have promoted the benefit of the 1% top people of the United States and neglected the rest. The same thing goes to the rest of the world. Nations need to see the results of governance in terms of improving their living standards. Now, the only place, not only place, but one of the most, the best places this has taken place is in China. Now, one day before President of Zambia made this, uh, made, participated in the summit, he inaugurated the, one of the units of the Kafui Dam uh, in Zambia, which was built by China, uh, which is a very interesting contrast because that dam increased the output of electricity in Zambia by 25%. Now, this is the kind of thing which government have to deliver, and he was completely correct. Now, the so-called democracy, which the United States, what we call Anglo-American democracy, is actually carried out under the wings of B-52 bombers on uh, predator drones and uh, uranium, de depleted uranium-clad shells, and with harsh uh, sanctions against other nations. So this is the reality of the world, and that's one very important reason that more and more nations, since the last democracy summit, are moving to the new paradigm uh, of international relations and governance, which is more and more towards China's Belt and Road Initiative, the BRICS countries and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, because they see that this what delivers mm. to the peoples of their nations, the goods they are expected to deliver. Mm. And also because people have realized, especially in the last year, that the in the West, that the inmates, the, the lunatics have taken over the asylum. Yeah. Okay. And this is a very scary reality, which is led by the United States, the British and NATO mm -hmm. right now. And that's why nations are moving towards a new understanding of what this mm -hmm. governance is about. It's not completely new. As I said earlier, mm -hmm. the U.S. Constitution says, you know, the purpose of government is to promote the general welfare right. of the people. All right. And this also applies to internationally. We have to leave it there. Many thanks to Hussein Askari and Margaret Kimberly for sharing with us your insights. When we come back after a short break, we'll talk about the uh, agreement between China and Brazil to use local currencies in large-scale trading between the two countries. What's about it? Stay tuned. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. 
China and Brazil will trade in their own currencies for large-scale trading, ditching the U.S. dollar as an intermediary, according to government announcement on Wednesday. This move is expected to promote bilateral trade and facilitate investment. This follows the news that more countries are using the Chinese or local currencies in trading with China. Meanwhile, according to the website ASEANbriefing.com, an official meeting of all ASEAN finance ministers and central bank governors this week discussed the possibilities to reduce dependency on the U.S. dollar and other major currencies from uh, financial transactions and move to settlements in local currencies. But that news has not been independently verified. So what are the considerations of some of the countries in switching to local currencies or the Chinese yuan in trading with China? What conditions have made such moves possible and what does it mean for the global trading and financial systems? I'm pleased to be joined from Beijing in the studio by Professor Zhang Gong, Vice President and Research and Strategy at the University of International Business and Economics, Israel, and Warwick Powell, adjunct professor from Queensland University of Technology. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. Um, first of all, uh, Professor Gong, let me go to you. So according to the deal I mentioned, China, the world's second largest economy, and largest, depending on how you calculate it, and Brazil, the biggest economy of Latin America, have decided to do their transactions in yuan and the riai uh, directly in large-scale tradings without the need to go through the dollar. What does it mean and how does it work? Yeah, so this is the headline. The, the real substance of this deal is that uh, Brazil essentially agrees with China to set up a offshore IMB clearinghouse in Brazil. Um, and this is a standard practice, actually. Uh, and, and already there are about like 25 offshore uh, clearinghouse centers um, throughout the world. And most of the transactions actually in Hong Kong. So what it means is that Brazil is now part of a offshore IMB market. Um, you know, that, that supports circulation of RMB in this market um, and also facilitates trade and also, you know, investment. And, and, and for things like, you know, Chinese tourists going to Brazil, it'll be a lot easier for paying expenses uh, with RMB. So, you know, this is a very significant step towards RMB internationalization, you know, with Brazil uh, being a very large market uh, with substantial trade and economic relationships with China. Uh, and I think it's a very good thing to see that Brazil is part of that offshore IMB market. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor Powell, what is, what is your take on the significance of this deal? And also the Brazilian Trade and Investment Promotion Agency said the new arrangement is expected to reduce costs and promote even greater bilateral and trade and facilitate uh, investment. How exactly will the arrangement be implemented according to your understanding? Look, Lucien, it's a very significant move because what this signals is that two of the world's largest trading partners are moving concretely towards implementing what is in effect a currency multipolarity framework. It is all about reducing costs, streamlining transactions, and ultimately also reducing risks. Over the past so many years, there has been a growing concern around the weaponization of the US dollar, which has created risk and uncertainty for trading partners. And I think that the events of the last 12 months have really um, hammered home the risks and the need, therefore, for trading partners to mitigate those risks by moves exactly like this. 
Well, Brazil is not the only example. For instance, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, uh, among other countries, have made similar announcement of using RMB or other local currency in trading with each other. Um, Professor Gong, are we seeing an acceleration of the trend of deviating from one single dominant global currency to diversifying by countries and companies? What are your observations? Well, um, actually, I was just debating with someone before coming to the show. Um, if you look at the data, the only data available, the, the usage of RMB on the SWIFT system, which is, a, and we all know what a SWIFT system is, um, the, the percentage of transactions in RMB is actually declining. But of course, you know, the trade in RMB is more than just happening on the SWIFT system. I think the majority of the trade is actually happening outside the SWIFT system. For example, you know, China's trade with Iran, uh, with, with um, uh, Russia, for example, technically that it cannot be possibly happening on a SWIFT system. So, uh, but we don't have the exact data yet. And, but I think even in the absence of data, we cannot deny the, 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 the uh, I think it's, it, it's, uh, it's probably a hypothesis or theory, I, I'm fully convinced it's a fact, that IMB's uh, weight in the entire global trade is definitely going up, uh, definitely going up, especially against the backdrop of, you know, these agreements have been announced so far uh, with respect to Saudi Arabia, uh, with Brazil. These are major economies uh, and, uh, you know, being historically using U.S. dollar uh, in a very dominant way and now things are happening. So I think I'm pretty convinced that uh, the role of RMB um, in the international, uh, international global trade, uh, inter in global trade, as well as actually uh, in, in terms of uh, foreign governments holding RMB as, as part of a reserve currency is definitely expanding. I think well, international organizations also agree with that. You look at the percentage of the special joint right at IMF. It's the third the largest percentage actually, you know, behind the dollar as well as the euro uh, and, and already surpassing British pound and yen. So I think mm. uh, IMB is definitely becoming international currency. There's no doubt Prof about it. Yeah, Professor Powell, what is your take? Should yeah. the United States be concerned that the dollar may be losing its dominance in the global economy? Um, Professor Gong just now mentioned the importance of renminbi versus the dollar. I mean, according to latest reports, the dollar is still accounting for 59% of central foreign uh, exchange reserves as of 2022, and the renminbi, RMB, a mere 2.8%. Is it too early to say, you know, the renminbi is catching up and possibly replacing the, the, the status of uh, the US dollar? The way I tend to see it, Lucien, is that we're moving into a world of currency multipolarity. A lot of people use the word de-dollarization, and I think that that sends the wrong message. The real message here is that trading nations around the world are looking for lower risk, more cost-effective, cheaper, quicker ways of transacting amongst each other. And that does mean moving away from heavy dependency on the United States dollar for that purpose. That's probably the first point that I'd make. The second point I'd make is that there is also a, um, a, a change in the infrastructure that supports these payments. So we're not only talking about the currencies that are uh, multipolarizing, but also the technical and information infrastructure that makes this all possible. Mm. So uh, the previous uh, speaker mentioned the move away from SWIFT. That's an important part of it. And there's a whole lot more besides mm. that institutionally 
that is seeing the world becoming far more multipolar today than it has ever been. Yeah. Professor Gong, um, last November, five ASEAN countries, including Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, the Philippines and Singapore, signed a MOU on regional cross-border payments, basically to boost regional connectivity and enable local currency settlements without the need to convert to US dollars. And Indonesia president said the cross-border payment initiative will uh, be extended to the global level. So is that along the same trend that we're talking about? And why are more countries considering diversifying from the USD? Well, at a very fundamental level, the use of currency is intimately tied to the trade picture. Um, you know, ASEAN is China's largest trading period. Uh, largest trading partner period. And, and China is also the largest trading partner with you know, practically every uh, country in the Southeast region. So uh, with that in mind, you know, there's really no need to go through the US dollar anymore if the trade is just between these two countries. Um, so, so I think there's a broader trend towards uh, reduced role of um, the dollar uh, in terms of uh, you know just the trend in the international trade. But on top of this, I think a lot of countries have, um, uh, have seen and have observed how the dollar has been weaponized by Washington to, uh, to be used as, in a political means. And, and I think there are many, many examples of that. Um, granted, there is actually also voice within the United States to, uh, to, 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 to be against this kind of a trend. Uh, but nevertheless, I think Washington has been you know, totally abusing its power, basically, uh, the power of the dollar, international trade, international mm -hmm. economics. And, and unfortunately, I think at this point, um, it's already too late for Washington to, to reverse trend. And I'm not even doubting whether it can even uh, reverse trend with the political environment in Washington right now. So I think that's a broader trend, and uh, it's just going to uh, you know, be strengthened and, uh, um, and I think RMB's internationalization initiative and, and, and the progress is just unstoppable. Finally, Mr. Powell, allow this um, layman's, laywoman's question <laughs> from someone who doesn't really <laughs> understand. But, I mean, when you have one single currency, for instance, for the Eurozone, it actually facilitates trade, facilitates connectivity. But when you have multiple currencies that are taking up different polar positions, isn't that going to make trade more costly because you have to convert uh, your currencies when you're trading with different partners instead of, you know, nominating in using one currency? Sorry if, if this question doesn't make sense. Look, it makes total sense. And I think that there's two parts of the answer to that. One is a technology question. And, uh, and the other one, of course, ultimately is about how countries relate to each other um, on the basis of a fundamental, um, what I call the real economy relationship. So at a technical level, the ability to handle um, uh, exchanging between multiple currencies at the back end of a, of a payment system is easier today than it's ever been. And there have been tests already run through the Enbridge initiative um, with the Bank of International Settlements in Hong Kong involving a number of central banks, including the PBOC, the Central Bank of Thailand and the, uh, the Bank of uh, the UAE, which actually makes possible this multipolar currency transaction environment um, with no experiential problem for the lay user. Um, so I don't think it's going to be a problem okay. going forward in the way that it would okay. have been you know, before modern technology right. and digitalization um, fundamentally we supports more efficient yeah. 
exchange rates and things. We have to leave it there. Time has got, run out. Thank you so much, Professor Zhang Gong and Professor Powell joining us from different parts of the world. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Lucien. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lucien in Beijing. You've got The Point.